2: Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Uh, Today we have our special guests, Cody Westheimer... Kim Gorski, and Julian Newman, because we last week we could barely scratch the surface of the issues surrounding elephants. Not only our cultural relationships, but from uh, captivity to keeping them alive in the wild. Despite thousands of years of living with these animals, they are facing even more pressure today than they have in our living history, except for maybe the 60s, 70s, and 80s when the poaching and the drought. Uh, was so, uh, decimated so many populations in Africa. But the difference today is the pressure is mostly created by us humans. Uh, So we have Tim and Cody and Julia, and we're going to talk a little bit more today about how you can help an elephant. And that is a little bit of a twist on the title of Tim's film, Uh How I Became an Elephant, which we discussed (laughs) last week. Uh, The subject last week was the issue of elephants in Asia, with a culture tied to elephants elephants and ivory that is very different than what is happening in Africa. In Asia, the subject is wild elephants captured at birth, put through an arduous and often abusive training course called the crush to break their spirit and to end up fearing humans so the trainer can maintain control and then use these animals for tourist attractions and entertainment, such as begging for food. They even turn into meth addicts they can, so that they can continue to work despite their fear, desperation, mood, and old age or injuries. Today, we'll also discuss the strides... For forward we have made in securing a future for elephants both African Asian and captive so first off I'd like to welcome uh, Tim Cody and Julia
3: back hello hello hey there. Hi,
2: so how are you all doing today
3: Wonderful. Good.
2: So, Tim, you're in Pennsylvania, and Cody and Julia are out in L.A., so we're all connecting here through Phoenix and Colorado. It's amazing what technology can do, and hopefully we'll be putting some of this incredible technology to work in the field for wildlife. Um as we were talking about, the story in Africa is a very different one indeed. Here, these animals are not kept in zoos. They do not regularly have close relationship with humans and are wild, and therein lies a different issue in terms with their relationships to people. Elephants are huge. They require enormous amounts of food and space just to do what it is they were meant to do. Be an elephant. They're landscape architects and a repository of memories through the ages. And hopefully, once again, they will, we will learn to let them be our teachers. So, um, Tim, you worked on your film, How I Became an Elephant, for four years. Uh, what did you learn about Asian elephants that you found to be parallels in African
3: elephants? Well, um, exactly. What you said, they're they're pretty much the gardeners of the jungles in Asia. And uh, unfortunately, they were hunted almost to extinction in many parts of Southeast Asia and China. Um, There's only a few pockets of the remaining in uh, in Burma. There's a a significant number of, they think, around 5,000. And then there's a very significant number of elephants left in India as well, (coughs) and some in Nepal.
2: So when you say hunted to extinction in Asia, we know this is happening today in Africa, which we'll segue into. So that brought, brings up a question. Were they hunted to be brought into captivity, or were they hunted for food, or were they hunted for the thirst for ivory?
3: All of the above. They were, they, they were captured primarily to be used as as workhorses, as a. Uh, you know, to carry goods between Asian countries years and years ago. I guess it was about four centuries ago. I'm sorry, 4,000 years ago. And then, uh, I'd say somewhere within the next thousand years or so, they migrated into the workforce being used as war animals. And of course, ivory as well started to grow or the demand for ivory started to grow in Asia. But, um, when, when you mention Asia, you really have to look at Southeast Asia. It's really, China is a whole different story. So when I talk about Asia, or Asian elephants, I'm usually talking about Cambodia, Thailand, Burma, uh, those countries.
2: Can you give us a little bit more deeper explanation of that difference that you've come to learn through working on how I became an elephant and your experiences in Thailand? A, a little deeper explanation. Um, explanation of that separation because here we are here in the U.S. we don't often think of um, what's really going on in far away places. That's part Mm -hmm. of the reason it's difficult to get uh, the western world involved in wildlife conservation. So when we think of Asia we think of China we think of uh, Thailand we think of it all as pretty much the same. So explain to us just a little bit more the difference between what you see happening in Thailand um, between and, and China, the, the different, uh, should we call it uses of elephants?
3: Right. Well, there's a different level of um, respect, or, you know, I hate to use the word love because I think that uh, Thailand, there's many people in Thailand that have a skewed vision or a skewed view of the word love. They, uh, they believe that they love elephants, but what they really love. Um, and I'm being I'm generalizing but most people in Thailand that I know what they really love is the symbol of the elephant and what the elephant means to them is a religious symbol a religious a religious icon it's like the same way that they love their Buddha and they love the king um, but in my opinion love when you truly love someone or something you make sacrifices to better that person or that animal's life. And I don't see the ties doing that for the elephants. It's, in fact, it's the exact opposite.
2: That's a really interesting point because um, here in the West we have um, the luxury, uh, disposable income and emotional luxury to love our pets. We have a very different relationship to those animals that we love to live with um, as opposed to worship or religiosity, so to speak, um, that changes whole definition of love. We could um, go into a whole discussion about um, different religious figures and the church and the love-hate relationship we have. We care about whatever our religious figure is and yet at the same time we we do so many awful things as a species in the name of that religion or in the name of God or in the name of love. So now we're applying that to wildlife and today that's even... It's, it's a really critical, critical relationship of our relationship to the other living beings that live on our planet. Cody, uh, why don't you chime in here a little bit? You, went, you and Julia went to Africa for the first time. You have not yet been to Thailand, although you worked and composed the music for Tim's film, How I Became an Elephant. But you went to Africa and uh, happened to meet one of the foremost leading experts in elephants today, uh, Dr. Dame Daphne Sheldrick. Now, here's a whole different relationship with elephants. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you learned there?
4: Well, uh, we uh, went to Africa, as you said, last summer. Um, we, were, we spent three weeks in Kenya, Tanzania, and Rwanda, and we were very much going as tourists um, just to see the wildlife and experience uh, just the awe of Africa. Um, and um, in our kind of ramp up, as we got closer to the trip, we were kind of starting to watch more movies and stuff like that. And we came upon this one called Born to be Wild, which, is a, which was an IMAX film. Um, and it actually highlighted um, the the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, um, their, their orphanage. And um, the woman uh, we were staying with, Liz uh, McPhee, a family friend of ours, um, knew of the organization and actually lived quite near them. And um, so we decided to go and visit. And um, that's kind of where this whole, uh, transformation, if you will, took place. Um, my wife, Julia, uh, basically became an elephant person that day. Um, just experiencing, you know, just the, the love and the compassion that these elephants possessed. It was, it was pretty bound mm. to experience just, you know, seeing her heart open up. Um, and since then, um, we've been very involved with that organization and are actually planning a return trip, uh, for next summer. Um, <laughs>
2: Yeah, um it's excellent. I'm I'm glad you're going back and we've provided some links on our host page here at Voice America, on Our Wild World, and on the bio pages to some of the other information that Cody and Julia have provided. And uh, we'd look forward to hearing more about that trip. So, Julia, what was it? Um, there's something about knowing about an elephant, seeing it on TV, hearing about it, seeing it at the zoo, and then, let's say, working on this film with Tim, and then actually being in the presence of an elephant at the Sheldrick Trust what happened what do you well, think what it was it that changed that core thing in you?
5: I could tell you exactly what happened. Um, it was that morning that we we went to the um, they have this eleven o'clock visiting hour and they bring in all the little babies they have the the youngest group first and then the older group, and they they're feeding them their milk and they're, they're already you're seeing this incredible bond with with the babies among each other and with the keepers. And um, some of the little baby elephants would stray off and say hi to the visitors. And one of the smallest ones who had to have been only four months old and had a little blanket on its back, which was so adorable because they, they have these blankets on their back to protect their skin um, from the sun since they're so used to their mothers being there. um their protectors in that way because they're always underneath them. But anyway, this one little baby came over to me and just started nudging me with, with its trunk. And I pet him on its head, and it was very sweet. And then it went off and did its own thing. But I, I wanted to come back that evening to visit them again. And um, we were invited to do so after um, we fostered one. That was a gift to the people that... That decided to foster an elephant that day, and so we returned back at five o'clock, and they all the elephants all came back um, from their day in the wild with their keepers, and they all marched in line very instinctually, and they ran into their um, little. Um, what are they called? Their little pens. They, each one had their name on it, and they had a bed in there for the keeper and for the elephant. And the keeper sleeps with them all night. and it get, They give them constant care like a mother elephant would. And I went to say goodnight to each and every one of them and watched them dozing off, and I wanted to find the one that I had this connection with in the morning. When he saw me, he jumped up on his hind legs and he wrapped his little trunk around my arm and basically gave me a kiss with its tongue. <laughs> I was so touched beyond belief. And the keeper said to me, which I'll never forget, he said, elephants can read your heart. They know if you love them and this elephant loves you. From that moment forward, I said to Cody, when I return to the U.S., I'm going to fight for these elephants. And this elephant is telling me something. I almost felt like it was saying, please help us. We, I understand that you love us. You bring up
2: three things that struck me in that conversation. That is a wonderful story. I had a similar experience the first time I visited with the Sheldrick Trust and um, uh, was i didn 't see them in the in the mud bath with the audience I was uh, working with Daphne and got to see them in the forest and uh-huh. they all surrounded me and um the next thing you know you 've got ten little babies that each weigh two or three hundred pounds um, that don't know how to use their trunks, and they're <laughs> splish-splashing away, swinging that trunk around, and it's like, whoa, I better watch out. Right. So um, we do need to understand that these are babies. They are adorable, um, but like any baby, they don't know how to use their body, and um, I want to avoid using the word danger. But when we put ourselves in close proximity with elephants or other wild animals, we do need to respect their size and their being. And uh, the other thing that you said is they speak to your heart. They know your heart. Most animals, um, and I hear we have a uh, fourth guest with us today, uh, Milo, who's, who's calling out there in the background. And uh, the thing about uh, our communications with our non-human neighbors is the majority of it is... Non-verbal, so that leaves um, elephants who have survived for millennia. There's a reason why they've been able to communicate. There's an they have an ability to make it around the earth in ways that we may never understand, but we're starting to um, to learn more about. So that non-human communication is, or non-verbal English language communication is really amazing. And, and we'll find that with just about any time we have an experience with wildlife. So the other point that you mentioned was the keepers. Okay, so Tim, here we have a parallel. We have the Mahouts in Asia, who are the keepers of their elephants. But they've right. gone about doing it in such a way that to break the elephant's spirit. In Africa, we have Dame Daphne Sheldrick, whose whole point is an understanding and expertise is to create a bond through love and emotion. So let's let's explore this a little bit. How? um, I think last week I asked, let's say in a perfect world, if the government and the people and everything, and we could stop hard labor for elephants, if that would work. But, you know, that would change the whole economic picture. So let's say what if we could change the relationship of people to elephants? Do you Mm -hmm. think there would be a way in Asia to continue this working relationship with elephants, but without the abuse?
3: I think it needs to. I mean, this is a a classic example of the different concepts of love. And, um, you know, I know Asians have the ability to love. I know I've been living in Asia for eight years. Um, They just have this skewed... Vision or the skewed uh, identification with love when it comes to symbolic animals like the elephant, which they're very proud of. They're very proud of the fact that Thailand is the elephant country. That Thailand has had a working relationship with elephants for four thousand years. They're very proud of that. So now you have Daphne loving the elephants, you know, in the forest and and you know, rescuing them, bringing them out to the. Back out to the jungle, reintroducing them. And then you've got Southeast Asians that are loving them in captivity, loving them to death, just like the Chinese are loving the ivory to death. So I think this is something we could explore and talk about for hours, of course.
2: Oh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, so th- I think this is the work that a lo- all four of us are. Trying to do is to reorient that relationship between people and wildlife. And um, it's interesting because you, you say that they love their animals. And it's true, but you also bring up the word symbolism, um, which leads to mythology and sort of puts it on a pedestal. So how do you think we can create a bridge in terms of moving forward in the future between films like yours and films like uh, the one Wild Eyes did, The Elephant in the Room? Um, How do you think we can build on that message? And Julia, you had brought up some interesting comments about media, so maybe this is a good segue into that point. How can we Um, not just here in the West, but those who love elephants, whether they be in Thailand, Africa, or England, or the U.S., or anywhere on the world, how do you think we can help engage the media um, and individuals, whether it be uh, you and Cody and Tim or myself or larger groups, to reorient this relationship? How do you think we can do that?
5: Well, there's two there's two ways I'd like to talk about this, and one way is um, Daphne actually with her trust is educating um, as many people as possible in Kenya, and she's mm-hmm. targeting the the youth, which are the savior to you know elephants in the future. That if if she can get the children to have um, to form compassion for these elephants at a young age and actually experience them and and form an appreciation, then she knows that that message has at least come across at that young age and they'll have some sort of conscience as they grow older and they aren't tantal- if they're tantalized by the money that the ivory brings in and so forth, maybe they'll think about that if they really want to go in that direction. And what she does is, um, and actually us as Americans and all over the world can donate to this trust to um, give money towards their wildlife shows that they show at their different schools. Um, It shows, um, it's it's an educational wildlife film teaching them about their environment and the importance of their priceless natural heritage. A lot of these children, you know, I was shocked that um I just kind of assume that most African people have seen wildlife, but boy was I wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um it because it's it's really they they they're it's too expensive for them to visit. And they're living right next to it. Well, and they're in what? these little villages. And um, so what what also happens is um Daphne has formed field trips for these children, and you can donate money um, through her trust for a school to come and um, have kind of like a safari for the day for the children, for them to see wildlife for the first time and appreciate it. She also has... You can also, she, well, schools come and visit the trust every single day. They visit the nursery. And when we were there at that time, there were so many school children, little, little kids, probably four years old, watching these little baby elephants, and they were so enchanted with them. And, um... You know, that's one way, and um, as well as um, visiting the other stockades and actually petting the elephants and so forth. So you can actually donate money for this to happen.
4: If I may, real quick, I'm I'm actually going to have to go um, after the first break, unfortunately.
2: Well, we're heading into that break, so why don't you um, give us your point, Cody, and then I guess we'll have to say goodbye to you for today.
4: Yeah, sorry. Uh, I just wanted to say it's it's the the Sheldrick Organization um, and and the others like it are just such an amazing place because you take these elephants that have been through you know so much trauma and just you know I mean obviously I'm sure you guys will get to the reason why they're being orphaned um, you know with the poaching for for ivory. Um, after the break um, but they're, they're taking these elephants and they're doing they're helping rehabilitate them at the same time they are probably one of the easiest animals to fall in love with on the planet I mean they are just so incredibly uh, you know personable cute I mean you could go down a long list um, and it, it, it's just an incredible place because it would be very difficult for anyone to go visit that place and not come out an elephant lover um, so it's really quite a brilliant you know organization and what they're doing is just incredible for um, not just elephants but wildlife in general. It gives, it gives anyone who visits or knows about them just an appreciation um, and an awareness of wildlife conservation all over.
2: Well thank you and also a, a big point, point. we'll head into our break, um, that makes the Sheldrick Trust unique amongst so many other elephant conservation organizations dealing with wild elephants is that it's tangible you get to go and see that elephant, and oftentimes that elephant will come up and touch you. Right. So um, that's a huge difference in terms of uh, the work that conservationists are doing to try to save elephants on the ground. So we need to head up into a break, and I'm sorry, Cody, you have to head off, but you know, I hope you have a great day, and we'll be right Here's back off. with uh, Tim and Julia.
4: Thanks so much.
2: Thank Perfect. you.
1: wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems the wild effect it's in our hands Ellie founded wild eyes foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G
6: All around the outermost
1: rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, book
6: 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea.
1: VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788 That's 1-866-472-5788 If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world.
2: And welcome back. We're here with Tim Gorski and Julia Newman. Cody had to leave. He's going off to compose. And uh, so today um, we're talking about how you, our listeners, can help an elephant. Um, Before the break, Julia had mentioned the Sheldrick Trust and donating funds to support uh, adopting a baby elephant that will eventually go back to the wild. Or um, we have some new information from Tim uh, and his film, How I Became an Elephant. And the woman highlighted, it. there's two women highlighted in that film. One, a young woman, and one, the woman who's done an elephant sanctuary. Uh, called, uh, her name is Leck. Uh, Tim, uh, I don't want to spoil it. Give us the news.
3: Well, <clears throat> I just wanted to make a point that um, I think we were talking a few minutes ago about, uh, about the love word. And I think we need to help redefine the word love. Um, obviously, it has many different connotations, but the one I'm talking about is our relationship with animals, with nature, and with wildlife. So even though we use the word love very freely and say we love this animal or we love the trees and we love this, uh, what does love really mean? And that's one of the things that Leck, uh, who is the – She's the elephant lady of Thailand. That's one of the things she, that she's doing with the youth in Thailand. She has a lot of different youth programs. She just showed our film, I think it was last week or the week before, to four different middle schools in Bangkok. So she travels around Thailand and around Southeast Asia. She spends a lot of time in Burma, actually, with the Hill Tribes, educating the Hill Tribes, but not trying to indoctrinate them and not trying to you know, take away their culture but trying to help them redefine their love for these elephants. Because these are people, the hill tribes, have grown up with these elephants for thousands of years. They have raised them, they have captured them and raised them for thousands of years. And they do have a relationship, whereas most people around the world have no relationship with elephants at all. My relationship is very small compared to the the hill tribes that grow up with these animals. So, And luckily for us, that lek... Is from the small hill tribe village, and she has the ability to reach out with them, reach out to them with respect and care and love, and redefine this whole idea of their relationships with elephants
2: well that 's an important message because we here in the West have very little relationship with wildlife period other mm-hmm. than um, you know the charismatic ones that uh, we happen to see or through the zoo. When it comes to predatory wildlife, uh, we're just the same as just about anywhere else. We want to get rid of it. We love the idea of it, but when it interferes or comes to our door, then it's a different problem. Uh, We uh, have a wildlife services to control the wildlife problems. So uh, in Africa and and in Asia, as you're talking about in Thailand... What a lot of conservation work, uh, wildlife and myself particularly working in Africa for 20 years is going about changing and I I call it changing the model. Um, Mm -hmm. Reorienting the model of conservation because the one that's been here for the last 100 years isn't working. We're still losing wildlife at an unprecedented rate and the relationships with animals such as elephants or lions hasn't changed. In fact, it's Getting worse. Um, So, films like How I Became an Elephant and films like The Elephant in the Room approach this subject from two very different perspectives. It's the same subject, but two very different perspectives. The Elephant in the Room gives you an emotional connection. Uh, that I think, Tim, that you were trying to explain that mm. of what these animals are going through. The elephant in the room is geared toward the Asian, and both films are geared toward the Asian audience. The elephant in the room takes it from ivory, the carving, mm. the worship, the religious, the, uh, the, um, the love of the, the artifact so to speak, and tries to bring it back to that living animal. So any change, and I'd like to hear both your, po- your views on this, any change in our relationship to wildlife is going to have to come on the ground where people interact with it uh, on a daily basis and usually have a relationship that is conflict.
3: Yes. Um, uh, do, are your viewers uh, aware of the film Elephant in the Room? Have yes. You- Yes, okay, good. All right, yes. Wasn't sure.
2: we have a link to Elephant in the Room on our host page, so if you're sitting there looking at our host page and listening to this show today, there is a link to the Elephant in the Room, which is a short two-minute PSA, and we did several episodes on that film, and also there is a link to the trailer of How I Became an Elephant on our host page, and I would really appreciate our viewers looking at this and trying to see the perspective of someone else, uh, especially those who live in conflict or need to use these animals for economic income. Um, and that is sort of what wildlife conservation boils down to today, doesn't it? Uh, income, economic benefit. We're, we're, we're changing the benchmark of what is health and wealth to that which is how fat our wallet is as opposed to how healthy our planet is. And Julia, you and I were conversing over the week that the media plays a really big part in this. And both Tim, uh, Wild Eyes, and uh, Cody and Julia are very involved in the media side. We've both made films and Julia and Cody, they write music. Um, so how can we help orient and get our listeners to perhaps take a stand that doesn't necessarily always cost money. There is a lot of conservation fatigue, donor fatigue going on. Everybody has their issues, their passions, and stressful lives. So what are some other ways that we could help engage our listeners to take a proactive stance and help our media um, to show wildlife in a better light. Julia, you had some really interesting points.
5: Well, I find that people in general find it to be uh, a a cause that's hard to relate to, as we were discussing. And and I'm on a mission to try to empower my friends and people that I meet, that it's really, there are easy ways to help these elephants and to try to, Form connections and 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 show them how losing elephants isn't just about losing the species, but it's also fueling terrorism now. And these there are Islamic groups that um, are they consider the tusk white gold of jihad, and that they're trafficking ivory, and it's fueling conflict in Africa. And it's even possibly fueled that re- most recent terrorist attack um, at that mall in Kenya. And the U.S. is a target for this group. And it's just a global problem. And I think that's something that people don't realize. And I think, you know, with everything that's going on in in the United States, if there's so much that, it, that the news is focusing on in the United States is that is directly affecting people in a way that they can understand, like the government shutdown, of course, but we hardly ever hear about Africa um, and really, it is all so connected, and people don't realize that and and, you know, just just last week um, on Saturday Night Live, they were making fun of um, the government shutdown, and unfortunately, um, elephants represent Republicans, and that was part of the whole theme of the mockery, um, and at one point, they um, sliced off the trunk of an elephant, and there was this pink ooze that just came out. And I thought to myself, wow, this really shows ignorance right there, that that this is happening at such a rampant rate in Africa that, you know, how could we possibly... I don't think they even connected it in their minds that they were making fun of poaching at the same time. So this
2: is a way that we, as listeners, we here in the West can make a statement we can say this is not acceptable even in fun it's not acceptable there are advertisements where we use animals to mm-hmm. engage audiences just like we use babies to in, uh, humans to engage audiences but oftentimes there is an insensitivity in how we use and relate to these animals in our advertising um it's it, that i think ends up Furthering the disconnect between exactly. the crisis of what is happening to our wildlife and furthering the disconnected relationship here in the West at least with um, the wildlife that we have left and that is elsewhere. I think we get farther and farther disconnected from the wildlife problems that are happening in Asia and in Africa. And, uh, um, you, you mentioned a point that we, we don't hear much about Africa. Actually, we hear about Africa all the time. What we're hearing is all the bad news. We're not often hearing all the strides that are being made. And having worked there for 20 years, there are so many incredible things happening on the ground, um, that are so, uh, engaging and, uh, of a different mindset that is geared toward protecting their natural resources where here in the west we seem to be going hell-bent for leather on using them all up in uh this consumptive lifestyle and making fun of our our wildlife and it looks like we have one minute to our our break here and um you'd mention also julia there was an ad for heineken i haven't seen that one what yes. was that one about
5: Well, that one took place in India, um, which in the same way like with Thailand, how they see they are in love with the elephant as a symbol. And it sounds very similar in in how they actually treat their elephants. And um, within the ad, there's a big party. And towards the end, the elephant is turning around um, and um, he's perching a person on top of his trunk and they're twirling around together. Um, like a circus
2: act. Well, that's, an infundi- uh, again, another unfortunate representation of and something that we all can talk to our media, write letters, do it on Facebook, social networking. We have to make these actions unacceptable. So um, on that note, uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back.
1: W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G.
0: We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up?
1: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World
2: Welcome back for the uh, how you can help an elephant in our wild world and um, I think the the consensus that we've come here and certainly um, to our dedicated listeners who have been listening to our wild world it's about taking responsibility for our actions it's about Thinking and rethinking our relationship to not only the people around us, but to the world and the wildlife that is around us. And when it comes to elephants um, and, and wildlife, Tim, you were, you were saying some pretty important things there. I would really like you to share it with our, our listeners today, how we can help an elephant.
3: Well, what I was saying while, while we are on break is that you know, we vote with our dollars. And, and what we purchase and in in Southeast Asia, for instance, you know I spent quite a lot, quite quite a amount of time talking to tourists that come in on these holidays, these two week package tours, and thinking. One of the first things I would ask them is, you know, what what are you going to do on your trip? And almost always, I'd say nine times out of ten, they would reply, "Oh, we're going to go on an elephant trek." And I asked them why, and they don't really know why. They don't really have an answer for that, other than the fact that they. They have a brochure that they got at the airport or something they found, you know, in a travel agency before they even came to Thailand. So they're not being properly educated. And a lot there's a lot of greenwashing going on in these trekking camps. And this is growing but exponentially elephant in Thailand. What does
5: trek mean, um, if you can explain that? Okay, sure.
3: Basically, uh, you, you go into a group environment, um, what they, they call them elephant camps, there's about 300 of them in Thailand with anywhere between 10 and 100 elephants. And, uh, and you ride on the backs of elephants, like taking a camel trek or a, horse or a horseback riding trek. And you go off into the jungle for you know, maybe a couple of hours, and then you end up in some small village, a uh, hill tribe village that's being exploited for other various reasons. And then uh, you may do a whitewater rafting trip or an ATV trip. It's all kind of packaged in into this one deal. Um, and, you, and typically, you'll find these brochures at the, at the bus stations, or the travel agencies, or at the shopping malls, or, or the airports. So what happens is, you know, people, they want to have an exciting experience. They're on holiday, and they see this package that they can do in three days, and do all these different things in three days, And there's probably some kind of greenwashing statements all over the package saying, you know, that come visit our eco camp or something like that. And um, I've investigated every single elephant trekking camp in Thailand. And there are only two that I would recommend as somewhat ethical. And then there's a couple of sanctuaries, two or three sanctuaries that are very highly ethical that you can go visit as well. The problem is most people are not getting that education when they go over. And I like to say that, you know, when we go on holiday, we put our brains in the trunks of our cars and we go off and we do things like go to you know, sea worlds and aquariums and things like that without thinking. And I think that's one of the first things we need to encourage people to do is before they go traveling to just just think and do a little bit of research. It's so easy now to go on the Internet and do some research and find out who's ethical, who's sustainable, who's putting their money into conservation and that kind of thing. And it's, it's similar to, to China. You know, people in China are voting with their dollars when they buy ivory. Uh, and I think if they knew where it came from, uh, most people in China don't. Um, there are those that do that just don't care. But uh, I think, you know, by and large, Chinese people are very compassionate, ethical people. They just don't really make the connection. And I think that's, Ellie, why, El, why Wild Eyes made the, the film, How I Became Harmless. That's my film. <laughs> <Made> the film. <laughs> that's
2: what I did last week.
3: <laughs> the Elephant in the Room. I know you did You did that last week, didn't you? That's why you made the film The Elephant in the Room, correct? And And correct. I'd like you to talk about that a little bit, I, actually, because I was really impressed with that film. And the reason I was impressed with that film is because I've seen quite a few documentaries and films coming out about ivory that just attack the Chinese as the world's villain to the elephants and things like that. And I know this is not the way to reach the Asian people. You're not you're not reaching out to them and engaging them in that way. And I saw that you made something very different. And maybe you could tell us why you chose well, or, thank you or how you question. came up with the
2: storyline? Thank you for that question. It's not often I get to be interviewed on on Our <laughs> Wild World, so I would love to answer that question. And you're absolutely right on this whole topic. How can we help? How can we engage in thinking of wildlife in a different way? Uh, it, it, I mean, if you listen to any of our Wild World episodes, you'll you'll get my overall message is that we have to rethink our relationship and the model today uh... which is not working uh... is conservation with a capital c is usually implemented upon somebody we are trying to change the way somebody responds reacts or works or does something and all you have to do is tell somebody to stop smoking who's a smoker and you'll see how asking them to do that doesn't work so when I was approached for uh, the elephant in the room by the writer, the original idea was uh, to show an elephant being killed, uh, the ivory being hacked out and the journey of that ivory to China and make, the, make Asia and the Chinese the bad guys. And my immediate response was, after having worked in African wildlife conservation, and we have five different elephant conservation projects on the ground, uh, that making enemies and showing the horror is not going to work. We are seeing it everywhere. You said it, Tim, that um, most of the the films about Ivory and Elephants today are pointing fingers, yelling, and and saying how wrong it is. It is wrong, but it's disconnecting. So I helped um, in terms of consulting saying, you know, if we send this message out, What are we actually saying? We're telling the people on the ground in Africa who are putting their lives on the line every day and dying to save elephants that they're they're not doing their job. We're telling the governments of African countries that they're not doing enough. (coughs) Excuse me. And then we're telling China that we dislike them. So we're not helping anybody, and um, when it comes down to trying to make a film for a conservation organization, engage an audience who's already fatigued by the horror, already doesn't know what to do um, about... Reorienting this situation, I said, we have to make friends. Today, the, the model for conservation, and this is what Wild Eyes is based on, is about collaborative efforts. It's about engaging people in terms of what they can do and rethinking our relationship to wildlife. So, uh, when the writer came back several weeks later with this wonderful treatment of, and he said, okay, what if I take it from the carving Back to the elephant, and I said, "Absolutely, go write it, go work on it, and let's do it." So um, we did it in a matter of three weeks, and then we had the opportunity to uh, air it at CITES uh, COP16 in Bangkok at uh, the, the the CITES meeting. So it was launched there under CITES and UNEP, and we all have feelings about CITES and UNEP and their part in the elephant crisis today which would be a whole other show Um, and then from there it went to Shanghai Square with a a working relationship between CITES UNEP and the Shanghai municipal government and it is currently showing on the Jumbotron, no pun intended, in Shanghai Square and uh, so it has reached the audience that we targeted it to. So um, to get back into what Both of you, what we're talking about today is media, how tourists need to think about their relationships. And I live in Aspen, which is... um, sort of the Disneyland of the Rockies. So, Tim, I totally understand what you mean about tourists putting their brains on hold while they're on vacation. Um, the part I find difficult is getting the donor, you know, working with the wildlife conservation organization, getting the donor to think. Um, to do that five minutes of research to understand what's ethical. So in in your film, How I Became an Elephant, which we've got links to, which you can find on Facebook, and you can also find Julia and Cody on Facebook and learn more about what you can do to rethink your position and your relationship on wildlife, um, and especially with elephants. Uh, Temple Grandin uh, is, is a woman who's managed over her lifetime to create a paradigm shift of how we look at cows. Um, She's managed to get the industry, uh, the beef industry, to rethink that if we're going to use this animal completely for our benefit then this animal deserves to be treated humanely from birth to death. So if we translate that to working animals such as elephants in Asia I think the work that Tim is doing in How I Became an Elephant and the work that Lek, uh, the, the San- elephant woman and Sanctuary is doing is critical. Um, so we have about four minutes to close. Do either of you have Uh, another word or a a takeaway that you would really like our listeners to get from from today, whether it's where they can go visit research they can do or um, uh, websites they can visit. And in fact, Tim just uh, sent me a good, a a link that we want to talk about. Tim, tell me about this link that you sent me about this young woman.
3: Well, first I want to say anybody can go visit elephants, uh, recovering elephants, in Thailand that have been rescued from the horrific treatment of the circus industry and the trekking industry and even the logging industry and they can go to uh, saveelephants.org which takes you to Lex's site and you can sign up and and actually volunteer at her uh, sanctuary in northern Thailand as opposed to going on an elephant trek you cannot ride the elephants there but you can actually see them being elephants which is beautiful knowing that they all have such psychological trauma in their backgrounds. But I just sent you a link to an article that I found last night that I thought was very interesting. There's a woman, a young woman just out of college in India, who discovered some uh mineral and she's calling it elf. It's a mineral that shares like eighty-six or eighty-nine percent of the properties of ivory. Did you read this article, Ellis? Yes I did. Um, I've got it
2: right here in front of me, in fact.
3: Because, you know, I was talking to some conservationists in China, and they said we will never be able to kill the demand for ivory. It's just so embedded. The ivory carving is so embedded into their culture. Now, I hate to say never. I think, you know, some traditions are meant to die, and I think ivory carving is meant to die. They can find other things to carve it out of. That's fine. I'm an artist. I used to be a sculptor. I can carve out of different mediums.
2: And cultural cultural shifts do happen.
3: Yes, exactly. And so, Traditions and to do
2: change. Whether you're talking about dolphins right. in the cove, whaling industry, and or our relationship to elephants and ivory.
3: Right. If they don't change, then we don't grow as a species. So this woman, um, and you can maybe you can post a link to this article because this is a brand new idea, and I'd like to see some big organizations get behind her with some funding if she if this if this mineral is sustainable it could be harvested sustainably and it can take the pressure off of ivory and it has similar properties to ivory i say this is actually one of the potential solutions
2: which is what we're all looking for today. We've got like two minutes to wrap up, and once again, we're we're going into a subject that we could talk for hours on, and which I have actually talked for hours on. Um, what we're, we need to do is find new relationships to our 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 wildlife. And uh, Julia sent me a link to the Sheldrick Trust. Once again, Wild Eyes does support the Sheldrick Trust. You can. Uh, uh, excuse me, um, donate to uh, adopt an orphan, and uh, I guess a, a point I need to make as we wrap up is that wildlife does not need money it doesn 't have pockets it doesn 't need to spend what it needs is space to be able to live and do what it was meant to do, and there is a huge aesthetic value in having wildlife in our planet on our planet besides the um, economic and free services that they provide for our earth that provide for us. So once again, I'm sorry, we are out of time. We've got 30 seconds. Julia,
5: any last words? I just wanted to say also by donating to the Sheldrick trust, you're also, you can also donate to anti-poaching units. They have mobile veterinary units. They have a de-snaring project. There are so many different ways to donate to the Sheldrick trust that help save the elephants and they also have films that they make about their work which I believe I posted I sent to you online and Cody and I um, write the music for their films and are trying to be the musical voice for these elephants and you can learn a lot about what they do through these films which they also share with the community so that so I is-
2: think you've given me my next week's episode which is to follow mm-hmm. up on a lot of these go ahead Tim
5: no I just said
3: that's wonderful Oh, nice. okay
2: so um, it looks like, once again, we're out of time. Our wild world gets really wild, especially when we get riled up and start talking about it. So join me next week on Our Wild World. And today, I'd like to thank Tim and Julia and Cody for being our special guests. Uh, we You're very back to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.
3: Bye-bye.